Hey, this is Les from Zelda's World, and you're listening to episode lucky number seven. Seventh Son, Book Two, Deceit. A podcast novel written by J.C. Hutchins, read by the author. For more information about this novel, please visit www.jchutchins.net. This is Summer Brooks from the Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas podcast. If you want a new take on sci-fi classics, both in print and in film, or a chat about a title you may have forgotten about or never even knew of, then this is the show for you. David Moldauer, Joe Murphy, and I will read a story or view a show from at least 10 years ago and break things down for you. Since our tastes vary, you never know who will love or hate what. Find us at kickassmysticninjas.com. The story so far. The story shifted to the Russian wilderness where Alpha's Nepth-charged soldiers finalized the launch sequence for the hijacked nuclear missiles. Using a deadly combination of hacked software in Moscow and in the missiles themselves, the Devlins were successful in their mission. The missiles soared into the sky. This is Joe Murphy. Meanwhile at the Seventh Sun facility, Jonathan arrived at the infirmary to visit Daniel Sheridan. They shared a moment of reunion, and then Dania swiftly murdered her son. Sheridan had been sidejacked, and John Alpha was in control of her mind. And this is David Moldauer. In the common room, Dr. Kleinman, General Hill, and the other Beta clones made a breakthrough with one of the decrypted clues. But before they could make any more progress, the facility was put on high alert due to news of the missile launch. Then another report came from the facility's ops center. Jonathan's body had been found, and Dania Sheridan was missing. General Hill ordered the compound into lockdown mode. As the chapter came to a close, John, Jack, Kleinman, and Hill left the common room to pursue the rogue. The others were left locked inside the room. Chapter 10 John squinted through the phalanx of strobing red lights as he tailed Kleinman and Hill down the corridor. The klaxon screamed on. Hill was shouting orders to no one, to everyone. There must be microphones in the walls, John thought. Seal all levels below this one, Hill hollered. Prep what's left of our security force. Have them cover critical access areas, stairwells, T-junctions. I want Dania Sheridan alive, but consider her extremely dangerous. They made another right past the mess hall. John knew where they were heading, and he didn't need the helix-shaped mosaic on the walls to prove it. Any idea where she may be now? Hill was saying. I, uh, retinal security logs say she used the express elevator, sir, replied Wayne's voice from the speakers. The elevator was activated before your lockdown order was- She shouldn't have security access of any kind. We revoked it years ago. I I know, sir. I, I don't know. Don't give me excuses, Hill said. They made another right, and were now heading straight for the express elevator's sealed blast door. Has the elevator returned to this level? Yes, sir, the voice in the speakers said. I'm coming down, Hill said. They were at the door now. Kleiman stepped up to the computer in the wall and let the retina scanner do its job. Pistons fired, and the blast door maw began to open. And John saw her, Dania Sheridan, waiting in the elevator, grinning, head lolling to one side like a rabid dog holding a glittering knife, lunging toward Kleinman. 
The elevator was empty. What level did she stop at, Ops? Hill barked. Was it the womb? Is she on her way to the memory array? Kleiman, John, and Jack stepped into the elevator cabin. Hill came in last, glaring at the ceiling. The doors hissed shut and locked. The single light flickered from above. Ready for destination input, belched the elevator's synthetic voice. Elevator, hold, Hill said. He turned to the small computer panel built into the cabin wall and jabbed a glowing red button. Operations, Corporal Wayne, answer me! Where is Sheridan? Repeat, where is Sheridan? Is she in the womb? A new voice crackled over the speakers. No, Orlando, Dania Sheridan purred. I'm in ops. I'm afraid I've made quite a mess here. She cackled. Holy shit, Jack whispered. He glanced at John, terrified. Hill inhaled sharply. Elevator, open doors, he said. The doors didn't move. That won't work, Hill, Dania Sheridan's voice said. Elevator security override. Clearance code Ada Golf. <laughs> that won't work either, Sheridan said. Suddenly, the locking clamps that held the elevator in place unlatched. Kachung. The elevator car trembled, then slid downward a few inches. Fuck, John hissed. He reached toward the sliding doors and pressed his palms against the slippery surface, trying to pull them apart. He wedged his fingers in the seal where the doors met. He glanced back at Jack. Help me, bro. She's going to drop us. She's going to drop us. Jack pushed past Kleiman and began tugging at the doors, trying to pry them open. It's no good, Jack said frantically. Sweat was already glimmering on his forehead. His arms trembled from the exertion as he pulled. Shit, he said. Shit, 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 shit. Kleiman reached forward and began pulling at the doors, too. John glanced back at Hill. The general was busy wrenching off the elevator computer's plastic case. The doors opened an inch, then another. John could see the hallway beyond, drenched in flickering red light. Almost got it. Almost. Come on, you fucker, he groaned. Come on! Dania Sheridan's laughter rang down from the ceiling. <laughs> nice try, she said. <laughs> Enjoy your trip, gentlemen, and do watch your fingers. There was an explosive crack of gears and pistons, and then the hallway before them suddenly shot upward past the ceiling. Wind rushed into the elevator cabin. The men instinctively yanked their hands away. The door slammed shut, and the elevator began its hurricane descent. Dr. Mike twisted the knobs of the common room doors. They didn't budge. Again. He banged his fists against the metal. Hey! He screamed over the sirens. Hey! Can anybody hear me? We're locked in here. He tried the knobs again. Damn it! Hey! Hey! They can't hear you, Kilroy 2.0 called. He was still slouched over the computer terminal. Father Thomas sat on the couch, his head in his hands. Jonathan's dead. Michael dead. Nuclear war dead. All dead. The sirens abruptly cut off in mid-ree. Kilroy turned back toward Mike. Maybe they found her, Kilroy said, his face hopeful. Mike tried the knobs again. They're still locked, he said. A voice boomed from the speaker in the wall. That's enough television for one day, children, Dania Sheridan said. It's bedtime.
The lights in the common room flickered, then went out. The room was now lit only by the five flickering monitors at the workstation. Father Thomas screamed. Kilroy 2.0, Sheridan whispered. I am here. One of the five monitors resting before Kilroy went black. I am everywhere. Another monitor switched off. Kilroy banged his fists on the keyboards, grunting in confusion. Kilroy, don't you get it? Dr. Mike yelled. She's hacking you, man. She's hacking you. The elevator fell and fell. Inside, John pressed his back into a corner of the trembling walls. The sputtering light above flashed manic, monstrous shadows across the faces of Clyman, Jack, and General Hill. Somewhere, the loose sheet of metal on the exterior of the elevator flapped in the gale, scraping against the elevator, screeching. John closed his eyes. Sarah, he thought. God, I love you. I really do. I wish I would have told you that. I love your red hair, your half-smile, the mole just below your belly button, and your eternal patience for me and Cat and our stupid, selfish quirks. The cat's got an excuse. He's a cat. I've got nothing, nothing but me and you. And why didn't I say this before when I called? Why didn't I? John heard a crackling sound inside the car, just above the den, followed by the smell of something burning, something bitter, acidic. He opened his eyes. Hill had ripped the computer panel from the wall and was trying to connect several of the exposed wires. He brought two wires together. An explosion of sparks shot out of the panel, spattering across Hill's shaking hands. What are you doing? Jack shouted. Hill connected two more wires. More sparks danced over his hands. Now another distinctive smell was filling the car. Singed hair and scorched flesh. Hill's. Hill didn't look up from the panel. I'm trying to hotwire it into an emergency stop, he screamed back. Two more wires between his two fingers. More sparks. I think I've almost got it. The cabin walls were rattling in their frames now, hyperventilating, howling. Somewhere in the shaft far above, a metal thing snapped with an explosive yet vaguely insectile sound. It screamed like a bomb, bouncing off the shaft walls as it fell. The metal thing slammed onto the roof of the car, sending Kleiman and Jack to the floor. The light above them exploded. Total darkness now. The floor quaked beneath them. The roar was almost deafening. It was a worm burrowing through your eyes and ears and pores, digging towards your brain, your soul. Can't see, Hill cried. Can't see, goddammit! Can't see, John thought. He needs light. Light. Falling still. Faster. Lighter. John patted his jeans pockets, searching with his hands for what his eyes couldn't see. Keys, no. Smokes, no. How much time till we hit the bottom? Thirty seconds? Twenty? Fuck. Hurry. There. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a Zippo. He flipped open the silver top. Blink. And turned the striking wheel. Fuck. He whispered. He tried the wheel again. A spark. No more. Cut me a break here, God. He thought. Just this once. More feeble sparks. Just this once. Just this. A sputtering flame erupted from the Zippo's wick. John caught a glimpse of the general's relieved face in the shadow dance. Hill reached for the panel and plucked two more wires. His fingers were raw, scorched. Don't go out, John prayed as he looked at the flickering Zippo. He cupped a hand over the flame. Don't go out, not now, not now, not now. The maelstrom of rattling walls and screeching metal was all-consuming now. 
One of the others, Clyman or Jack, was screaming, screaming like a lunatic, screaming, Oh, God. Just a few more seconds, Hill cried. The flame in John's hand wavered, then sputtered, and then it went out. Kilroy was leaning over the keyboards, his fingers a blur. On the remaining screens, program windows popped to life at his commands. Now he was typing with one hand and piloting the mouse with the other. Now he was tapping on the alt and tab keys, a two-finger drum roll. Oh, no, you don't, he muttered. No, you don't. Above them, Daniel Sheridan's laughter boomed from the speaker. <laughs> How does it feel to be hacked, Prophet? No control, none whatsoever. The monitor that Kilroy was staring at went dead. He quickly turned to the remaining two displays. His fingers machine-gunned across the keyboards. Behind him, Dr. Mike wandered through the dimness toward the cathode light glowing from the screens. He glazed in silent awe as Kilroy typed line after line of arcane code, clicked icon after icon, launched program after program. The application names flashed on the screen in bullet speed, barely legible in the cascade of opening and closing windows. Resurrect Tech, Spike Slayer, Zombie Drive, Safety Net. Now the fourth monitor flashed out. Kilroy leaned closer to the last monitor and typed even faster. The streaming gobbledygook code glimmered in the reflection of his thick glasses. It's over, Dania Sheridan called. I've been waiting so long to do this, Kilroy. It's time to unplug. Kilroy snorted. No. Click. You. Rack attack. Don't. Double click. The last monitor flickered black. Bamf! Kilroy 2.0 screamed. He shook a fist at the wall speaker and then gave it the middle finger. The last monitor remained black. And then it winked to life. The computer was rebooting. Kilroy, Mike, and Thomas stared up at the wall speaker. Five seconds passed. Then ten. Wherever Dania Sheridan was, she wasn't here anymore. Damn it! John screamed in the darkness. He rolled his thumb across the Zippo's striking wheel again. Nothing. And again. Again. We are going to die, he realized. Suddenly, something happened outside of the cabin. A mechanical thunk of something shifting, something moving from behind the walls. Outside, the locking clamps re-engaged, extended outward to the shaft's walls, sending the car into the emergency stop Hill hadn't been able to activate. Inside, the abrupt shift in momentum jolted the floor upward, ripping Hill and John off their feet. The Zippo flew through the air, ricocheted off the cabin ceiling, and clattered next to John. The smell of melting metal filled the car. Parts of the walls were beginning to bend and buckle from the heat of the outside friction. They were slowing down, still falling, but slowing down. What in the hell is this? John thought frantically. I thought she wanted to kill us. The centrifugal roar gradually ebbed into a methodical snarl of metal on metal. The walls stopped rattling. The floor stopped trembling. And finally, the elevator car lurched to a halt. The cabin was filled with an acrid haze. The four men slowly got to their feet. Clyman waved a hand in front of his face, trying to wave away the smoke. What floor are we on? he asked. No idea, Hill said, nodding down at the smashed bits of computer on the cabin floor. He winced. That's what that was for. Who the hell cares? Jack said. 
We're alive. John looked at the elevator doors before him. Yeah, but why? She, he could have killed us, but didn't. The smoke was stinging his eyes now, making them water. Let's get these things open and find out where we are. He scooped the Zippo off the floor and slipped it into his jeans pocket. John motioned for the others to help him pry open the elevator doors. Wherever they were, it was better than staying here. It had to be. Chapter 11 In the Operations Command Center, Dania Sheridan leaned over a bank of computers and gazed at one of the dozen flat panel monitors. Behind her eyes, John Alpha's mind was racing. Effortless, flawless, the plan was well in motion and well in hand at that. Special K's Trojan horse had successfully recoded the Perimeter RT rocket. The Russian nukes were now en route to their targets, and Dania Sheridan, well, she'd really delivered, hadn't she? Her skin had provided the sheep's clothing, her brain invaluable familiarity with Code Phantom access. That was going to come in handy in, oh, about two minutes. John Alpha allowed a slight smile to spread across his mother's face. He also allowed himself a few more minutes to gloat. The Trojan horse in Russia had been a brilliant idea, but it wasn't exactly an original one. John Alpha had planted one here in the Seventh Sun Security Database five years ago before he had escaped. The plan had always been to come back using Dania Sheridan as a ruse. And that's what his Trojan horse had done, reactivated Dania's archived Code Phantom security privileges. Awakening the malware was easy thanks to the laptop Kleiman had provided. This had been anticlimactically easy. Abduct the mother, beat her, break her, hijack her mind and then use her as bait. Faced with the reality that their mother was still alive, the Beta clones had no choice but to rescue her and bring her here. And with the cuts, missing fingers, and last night's performance on the platform, why, there was no reason for them not to believe her, not to shelter her. Me, he thought, public enemy number one, under their noses. The reward? Another corpse. Killing Jonathan was... gratifying. Now the balance of power shifts and the world shall take note. The world will unite. From his seat in the elevated control pod, Alpha glanced at the clock on the op center's wall. No more dawdling. He turned to the keyboard resting before him. He quickly popped the knuckles on Dania's left hand, one of her subconscious habits that absolutely insisted on being sated. Alpha gazed at the monitor the late great Corporal Wayne had been watching just minutes ago the high-alert NORAD ComNet system. There was nothing terribly special about it. Well, not yet, anyway. Every military or military-funded science facility had access to this NORAD app. Loaded into operations computers at every facility, ComNet was designed to automatically come online and warn base folk of an impending nuclear strike. It was the military's way of automating the preparedness process. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Alpha mused. You've made life that much easier for me. On the monitor, a simplistic computer map of the world was spread across the NORAD ComNet screen. Winking green lights identified the launch sites of the nukes in the Russian Saratov region. A large flashing white rectangle covered the northern half of Africa, NORAD's current supposition of where the nukes would land. Satellites were still triangulating the missile's trajectories. And here comes the fun part. Alpha thought. 
He keyed in Dania Sheridan's recently reinstated code phantom password into the ComNet login prompt at the bottom of the screen. Suddenly, the map was overlaid with panes of streaming information. NORAD was at DEFCON 1 and AmergCon, an eye blink away from Armageddon, but President Hale had not authorized a retaliatory strike. Alpha had anticipated this. If the nukes had been heading toward the U.S., that would have been another matter. But they weren't. The missiles were heading toward Africa right now. The on-map blinking rectangle grew smaller in size, now encompassing Northeast Africa, Egypt, Libya, part of Sudan, and the Middle East. The NORAD satellites were getting closer to extrapolating the nukes' flight paths now, which meant NORAD would deduce Alpha's targets in about 30 seconds thanks to the American long-range radar network based in Iraq. Since the country he was attacking was a longtime U.S. ally, Alpha knew what would happen next. The Pentagon would make an 11th-hour attempt to blast the nukes with Fast Lance Mark V rockets stationed in Basra. A recent addition to the military's ground-based missile defense shield program, the Fast Lance 5s had exceptional onboard guidance systems. There was a chance that, using the long-range radar as their eyes, the Fast Lances could destroy the nukes before they hit their targets. And that won't do, John Alpha said, and tittered. That won't do at all. Dania Sheridan's remaining good fingers began to type. Using the all-access Code Phantom security pass, John Alpha switched the ComNet program's screen from passive to active mode. Fewer than a dozen living people had access to this program setting. He zoomed the ComNet screen from the global view to the microcosm of the North African region. He was now able to watch the long-range radar network in Iraq deliver its up-to-the-second vector data to the NORAD system. It had nearly triangulated the missile's eventual destinations, God love it. John Alpha moved the computer mouse across the map to the small blinking icons just below the radar network's streaming data. One icon read, Hardware Status Online. Another graphic read, Communications Status Streaming. He double-clicked the latter. A network of blinking yellow lines suddenly appeared on the map, detailing the communications pipeline connecting the long-range radar batteries to a ComNet broadcast bunker several hundred miles away. At several points on this yellow pipeline, there were small blue boxes. These boxes represented relay stations along the communications route. All six boxes reported the same word. Nominal. Alpha held down the control key and clicked them, one after another. When all had been selected, he right-clicked. A set of commands winked on the screen. He selected the one that read, Disable. The boxes flashed from blue to red. The entire pipeline blinked red as well. The incoming vector data from the radar batteries suddenly flatlined. NORAD was no longer receiving tracking information on the nukes. The puppet strings had been cut. It was just too easy. Code Phantom gave Alpha the keys to the kingdom. For good measure, he slid the mouse arrow across the map to the icon beneath the nearby Fast Lance 5 missile launchers. Using the same maneuvers of mouse clicks, he set them to disarm. It would take the terrified folks at NORAD about four minutes to restart both systems and bring them back online, which would be about three minutes too late. The body of Dania Sheridan leaned back in the Ops Center chair and watched the NORAD ComNet map. 
A cold, cruel smile spread across her lips. Eight Topol-M intercontinental ballistic missiles screamed downward, downward, then detonated, spreading 24.3 megatons of hellfire across hundreds of miles and turning the desert into glass. Alpha closed the NORAD ComNet application and accessed Seventh Sun's interactive floor plan program. Time to check up on the family, he thought. Glimmering on screen was a green 3D wireframe schematic of the Seventh Sun facility. The image resembled a misbalanced dumbbell cocked on its vertical axis. At the top of the screen were three disc-shaped levels. These were the Seventh Sun floors closest to topside. The common room was up there, with the priest, the shrink, and the lunatic locked inside. Alpha moved Dania's eyes to the center of the abstract disc shapes, and to the cylindrical shape that plummeted downward toward the bottom of the screen, the handle of the dumbbell, the graphical representation of the express elevator shaft. A much larger stack of square and circular-shaped levels layered the bottom of the screen. These were the floors where Seventh Son's true secrets lived the memory upload-download chamber, the memory hypercomputer array, the womb, living quarters, this ops center. Alpha smirked. Yes, the ops center, where all of Seven Sun's security could be conveniently controlled with the click of a mouse button. Much to General Hill's chagrin. Speaking of which, he glanced to the blinking blue triangle near the bottom of the screen. It represented the location of the elevator car. A staccato chuckle came from Dania Sheridan's throat. The car was exactly where Alpha wanted it, exactly where he had told it to stop. The blinking triangle was hundreds of feet beneath anything the clones had seen so far, well past the living quarters, ops, the memory array. Oh, when they finally pry open those doors, how their minds will be blown, he thought. They think they're safe now. They're going to learn how wrong they are. John Alpha turned his gaze to another monitor, the dead one. This was troubling. Minutes ago, he had been able to see and hear the common room with this monitor. But Kilroy 2.0 had done something during Alpha's hack. Something creative. Something resourceful. Something unexpected, goddammit. Dania Sheridan's fingers typed on the keyboard, accessing the spike program Alpha had set upon Kilroy's computers. The malware's activity report dutifully popped up on another display. Yes, it was all here. Alpha's hack had yanked at least four of Kilroy's computers from the grid. But Kilroy had somehow pulled a white rabbit from his black hat, had probably shielded his fifth PC from the attack. Worse, Kilroy had done something else. He had counterattacked and had cut off the op surveillance system from accessing the common room. Hence the black monitor. No video. No audio. Alpha didn't know what was happening up there. Special K's killer app had apparently only maimed. What are you doing up there, Kilroy? John Alpha wondered, staring into the blackness. Not even Dania Sheridan's code Phantom Clearance could access the common room. That was the bastardly rabbit punch. How did he do that? Alpha didn't know. Perhaps Dania Sheridan's memories could be of some use here, he thought. Yes, she had spent years watching the betas, Kilroy in particular. 
She had watched with pride when Johnny married his college sweetheart. Caroline. Her name was Caroline. Graduated magna cum laude from MIT, then became a father at the age of 20. That had been 1997. Dania Sheridan had also watched in detached fascination as the madness swept through Johnny four years later. 2001, the bedlam year, she had called it. Johnny and Caroline divorced. He devolved, or evolved, depending on your perspective, into Kilroy 2.0 and moved to Washington, D.C. Caroline and the baby moved to Washington State. Alpha nodded. Oh, yes. Maybe Dania Sheridan had seen something back then. Something locked away in those neural filing cabinets that had once been her mind. Something only a mother would notice. He would have to remember her memories, and soon. John Alpha looked forward to this. He turned away from the monitor's void. What are you doing up there? He thought again. Are you going online? Rattling the cup to your flock for more help? Trying to escape? A needle of panic seized him for an instant. He could activate the base's anti-infiltration countermeasures now, right now, pump nerve gas into the halls, kill Kilroy, kill them all, be done with it. They can't do anything unexpected when their corpses, when the blood is bubbling through their pores. No. No. That would be rash. He needed them, the clones, the nerve gas, for later. Alpha rolled his mother's head from side to side, took a breath. Focused. Problem? Kilroy 2.0 may still have access to the outside world. Solution? Alpha could sever said connection by killing the Seventh Sun Compound's satellite internet access. Again, no. Alpha needed that line. He still had some Code Phantom-powered surfing to do before the gory finale. Dania Sheridan sighed. So he'd been temporarily outwitted. He'd have to let it go for the time being. There was a schedule to keep. People to contact, sensitive information to steal. So, regroup, Alpha thought. Recap. Hill, Clyman, Jack, and John are where I want them to be. Kilroy 2.0, Thomas, and Mike are locked in the common room, but I can't see them. Annoying, but acceptable. And the rest of my little clock cogs out there in the world, are they spinning in sync? I should lift a little something from the guard on watch to find out. He stood Dania Sheridan up and looked past the monitors to the rest of the Ops Command Center. The corpses of Corporal Wayne and Private Allen lay on the floor, their chests riddled with tranquilizer darts, their throats slit, their dead eyes still wide with surprise. Dania Sheridan stepped down from the elevated command pod and searched Corporal Wayne's pants pockets. He pulled out a key ring. A small silver key dangled from the hoop. Sheridan made her way back to the command console and to the secure Stu-7 telephone there. Time to make a call, John Alpha said. You've been listening to Seventh Son, Book Two, Deceit. A podcast novel written by J.C. Hutchins. Thanks for listening. Please visit www.jchutchins.net for more information about this novel and about the author. Themed music generously provided by Cell Dweller. Please visit the band's website at celldweller.com and at myspace.com slash celldweller. 
graphic elements for website art and album art for this podcast generously created by Magic Torch. Please visit the company's website at magictorch.com. This recording and its contents are copyright 2006 J.C. Hutchins.